what is it that Jesus thanks his father for? Well, the answer to that actually leads us into the passage that we want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, in the previous section to what we're going to look at today, Jesus is praying and listen to what he thanks his father for. Verse 21, Jesus says this, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. You know what Jesus is thankful for? Because Jesus feels the exact same way. That God in his grace would look down at a human race and would not say, I think I'm going to reach that one because they're smart enough and that one because they're strong enough. It's not what he says, is it? He says, the ones to whom I will reveal myself are those that say, I have nothing and I need you. Isn't that wonderful? And if Jesus was going to tell you what he's thankful for to God, he would say that. With that in mind, Luke has the very next story, he has an example. It's a negative example of somebody who thinks he can make it on his own. And I want you to watch, it's a familiar story, but I want you to watch how gifted Jesus is as a communicator. You know, an an educational theory, you know, going back to Socrates and everybody else. Um, Good teachers Sometimes you'll ask them a question and they won't give you a direct answer. They'll kind of give you an indirect answer. Or they'll answer a question with a question. Which sometimes as a student can drive you out of your mind. Watch Jesus in this dialogue. Because you're going to find a wise guy who thinks he knows everything. Coming and trying to test Jesus. Years ago... When I was a youth pastor, I used to teach in a Christian school in our area, well, at at, at our church. And it used to amaze me sometimes in a Bible class, you know, I'm teaching along. And, you know, at that point I was into some advanced studies. And you'd have an eighth grader raise his hand thinking, I'm going to really stump this guy with a question. You know, and he'd throw out this question. And I think he was expecting me to say something like, "I, I never heard that before. I never thought about that. You know, I mean, you know, but, but he's thinking, I'll, I'll get one over on him. That's exactly what you have happening in this passage. A wise guy who can do it on his own, trying to get one over on Jesus. Notice what the text says, verse 25, Luke chapter 10. And, and one thing to relax on, if you have the handout in the, in, in, from your bulletin, I'm only going to do one of the stories today. I, it would be hopeless to try to get through two of these. So I'm only going to do Roman numeral one. So that, that's as far as we'll go. So if you're sweating it, don't sweat it. Verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Here Jesus is talking to his own. He's pouring out his heart. He's praising God for what he's done. And this guy stands up and says, got a question for you. You know? I mean, he's going to get him. 
My guess is this guy's been thinking about this question a long time. He knew the answer. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, even the question's somewhat problematic. What shall I what? Do. Lord, what is it that I can do of myself so that you'll say, good guy, come on into heaven? Right? So even the question's messed up. But what this guy doesn't realize is he is dealing with the master teacher. And if you stand up to test him, you're in a heap of trouble. So notice what Jesus does in response. Brilliant response. Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, in all fairness, this guy had thought this one through. Because if you're going to come and test Jesus, you sure better have an answer that you can compare to what he's going to say, right? So he's got it all thought out. So when Jesus asks him, although I have to be thinking to myself, it's, what's really funny to me as I read this story is, here's a guy that's trying to test Jesus. It's not too long before he's got to be thinking to himself, no, wait a second, who's testing who here? And everything is going to get turned back on him. But listen to his response. He responds from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And they're wonderful passages. He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That, that was the response back to Jesus. That's a, actually, that's a pretty good text, isn't it? The problem is, how well can you do with that one? Right? Look at Jesus' response. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Does that make you a little bit nervous? You're a Christian. You believe we are saved by grace through faith alone in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And Jesus looks at a guy and says, the guy says, love God with everything inside of you and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, good answer. Do that and you'll live. It's an interesting response, isn't it? I'm expecting if Jesus would have taken an evangelistic class with me, I would have told him to say something different. That's tongue-in-cheek. You know what the problem is, folks? You are not ready to hear the good news until you accept the bad news. So Jesus says, okay, if you want to play the law game, then you got to play it to the full. You got to live it perfectly. You can't make any mistakes. Go do that totally, fully, completely, perfectly, and then you will live. See what Jesus is doing? He is pushing that guy to come face to face with his sin. Well, the guy's a little bit nervous about this whole thing. So notice the question he asks in verse 29. Because my guess is, 
He's either still very proud or else he has some pangs of conscience at this moment. Or perhaps both. And wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, "Um, and who is my neighbor? So you've got to have a perfect relationship with God and you've got to have a perfect relationship with your neighbor. And the guy's backing up thinking, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. So if I can just identify who my neighbor is, people that maybe I've given alms for in the past, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm okay with God. Who's my neighbor? Now the guy's in trouble. Because if Jesus starts telling you a story when you ask him a question, you're in big trouble. You're in really big trouble. And the guy was asking the question, who is my neighbor? And you know what? Jesus chose not to answer that question. Jesus is going to answer the question, what does it mean to be a neighbor? It's a very different response. And and I want you to think about this. The problem is, you know this passage, but it's like that Kellogg's commercial taste again for the first time. Act like you've never heard this before. So here you are. You are a lawyer of Jewish tradition. You are somebody who meets all the scruples. You do everything by the book as much as that is possible, at least what people see. You love the Jewish nation. You're not real big on Samaritans. You're not real big on the Gentiles, but you love the Jewish nation. You like the things turn turn around there. Jesus now is going to tell you a story, and you're a Jew. Listen to what he says. Because there's going to be some shockers as you go through this one. The Bible says, Jesus replied and said, a certain man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. You always go down from Jerusalem because of its elevation. That's that's the point. And and, and it's a very, very, very dangerous the, the, the way down is very dangerous. And he fell among robbers. Why the guy would have been alone beats me, because that's not real smart, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, he fell among robbers. They stripped him. They beat him. They went off, leaving him half dead. So G- the guy says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus starts saying, there's this guy on his way to Jericho, beaten up by robbers, stripped, lying there with nothing, half dead. The guys listen to it say, okay? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you some people that came along. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. If we would contemporize that, a Baptist pastor was going down that road. I mean, that's what the Jew would have been hearing, right? Here comes a priest. And scholars have wrestled with, what was the priest thinking? You know what the answer to that is? I don't know. Could have been thinking a lot of things. He's coming down. He sees a guy over there not moving. Maybe he thinks to himself, I don't know. Maybe he thinks to himself, well, if he was beaten up, the robbers could still be around. I'm going this way. Could be. He may all be thinking, 
You know, he's not moving much. He may be dead. If he's dead and if I touch him, then I'm impure. And then there's a whole series of rites I have to go through. Is it really worth it? I mean, if you're dead, you're dead. I don't know what he was thinking. All I know is the Baptist pastor, the priest, the guy, didn't even get close. Then, a Levite came by. Levites weren't quite as high as priests. I suppose it would be like a Baptist deacon coming by, something like that. And so, so this Levite comes by, not the same, they're not quite as, as, as important before the people. And what the text says for the Levite is, is that he actually came in for a closer look. Maybe he kicked them, I don't know. And walked away. Now I want you to think for a second. If you're the Jewish lawyer hearing this story, priest, Levite, Baptist pastor, Baptist deacon, whatever, who do you think is going to be introduced next? I'm thinking, I mean, this guy's not dumb, he's a lawyer. He's thinking, okay, he just said a priest, then he just said a Levite. I guess we'll just have a a Joe Normal Jew come walking by. Right? I mean, that makes sense. And this is where Jesus turns it. But a certain Samaritan, verse 33, who was on a journey, came upon him. And I wonder if Jesus paused there. And when he saw him, he thought about how crummy the Jews were. He thought about the fact that they deserve a whole lot more than what this man is getting. He thought about what they've done, what they did years ago, which we as Samaritans have never forgotten what they did to our temple in Gerizim. He thought about the way he was treated by them in the past. He th- I, could have been all kinds of things you could say here, right? But the text says, when he saw him, he felt compassion. He saw a human being. He didn't see an ethnic group. He saw a human being. And he came to him. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He then put him on his own beast. I mean, this guy had places to go. He puts him on his own beast. He brings him to an inn and he stays up all night and cares for the guy. I mean, he went way overboard. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. How do you think the lawyer's feeling about now? I mean, he's going like, he's listening to the story. He's gulping, throwing the priest, Levite. Samaritan. Samaritan? 
Jews and Samaritans are like this. Everybody knows that. What's this all about? I mean, God's favor is upon his people, the Jews. Everybody knows that. You just made the hero of the story a non-Jew and a Samaritan nonetheless. Not even a, I mean, what's that? I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff going through. Look at what Jesus does in verse 36. Jesus is just question after question, story, indirect. It's a masterful job. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And that lawyer's sitting there thinking, what have I gotten myself into? I thought like I was, but he is, like, what is this? And he can't even say, folks, in the text, he can't even say the Samaritan, can he? He will not even use the name. Look at what he says. Uh, The one um, who uh, showed uh, mercy to him. I guess that's, that's the hero. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Could he? Could he go and do the same? Could he go out and have such love that it overflows outside any ethnic boundary that he has established in his mind? And reaches down at great expense to himself whenever there's a need. He just gives. Nope. There is no way. This man, who is a wise guy, he's got it all figured out. He can manipulate. He can do it. He's not the child. He says, God, I need you. Jesus says, let's play your game. And in love, I will push you and push you and push you. Because until you accept the bad news, you will never be ready for the good news. It's a brilliant. I read Jesus in the Gospels and I go, oh, that's so good. And he does it over and over again. And this is one of the classics. I mean, this guy who was like the tester, watch me. At the end, he's going like, what? What is, what? I, I, oh, man. <laughs> he's wiped. By way of summary, let me talk to you for just a bit. Because I was thinking, the way I have normally heard this passage preached when I was a kid was Samaritan was nice to people. We should be nice to people. (laughs) Ta-da. And so regardless of who you are and what, what your relationship is with God, just try a little bit harder. Folks, I don't think that's what this passage is saying at all. Now, you say, but I'm a believer. I'm getting to you. Okay, we'll get to you. But here's the point. In Romans 3, and and, and I love, you you know who wrote Romans. Who wrote Romans? Paul, who used to be Saul, who was a stellar Pharisee. 
So he could have read Luke 10 and said, man, I know exactly where that lawyer is. I was there. Until I came face to face with Jesus Christ and then everything changed. And Paul, who writes the book of Romans, says this in, in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul has just finished an entire argument as one who knew the life of the lawyer. And he said, you know what? I tried that law thing. I tried to do it all. And people thought I did well with it. But in my heart of hearts, I knew I didn't. And certainly God knew I didn't. I could not love perfectly. And Paul says, you know what? The law will never save you. The law can condemn you. The law can show you just where you are before God. But it can never save you. Paul says, I know that. This man needs to know that. And the reason Jesus said, go and do likewise is until he realized he can't, he's not ready for God who alone can. Does that make sense? The law is always meant to move us to the cross. No one can find acceptance with God through obedience to the law. If you're with us today and you say, I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty good father. Which I'm happy for, for your kid's sake. But it will do you no good before God. It won't. Unless you can stand up here before me and tell me you are a perfect father. And nobody's going to say that. You say, okay, Doug, but this is a good story, right? Yeah, it's a great story. I mean, the Good Samaritan story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, is there anything for us? Oh, yeah. But this is how we get to it. Secondly, Paul, again, speaking. The guy knows law. He knows all this stuff. The law is fulfilled in those of us who have been to Calvary. You know what he says over in Romans chapter 8? I love this text. You got to read Paul remembering he used to be Saul. That's like really important. And in Romans 8, Paul says this. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. The problem is not the law. The problem is Doug Finkbeiner. I can't do it. I can't. Weak as it is through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was not sinful, but he came as a human. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you know I fulfill the law? Do you know that? Oh, man, you are cocky, Finkbeiner. It's not because of me. It's because I'm connected to the perfect son of God who perfectly walked 
the Jericho Road. And never once, never once failed. And he walked the Jericho Road to the cross, showing his greatest love for mankind by dying on a cross and then coming out of the grave to show his victory over sin. And I know him who is perfect. And because I'm connected to him who is perfect, he so works in my life that I begin to learn what it means to walk the Jericho Road. Perfectly? No. Progressively. Do you see the difference? If it's all about me doing it on my own, then I got to be perfect and I will fail. Go and do likewise. You will fail. But when you realize you failed, you can come back to God and say, God, as our brother shared today, Chuck, you come to God and say, God, I have nothing. That is everybody's experience. God, I have nothing. I can't do it. Help me, God. And God sweeps through our soul. He saves us. He forgives us. We become a follower of Jesus Christ. And man, I am not a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. And either are you. But we're reoriented and we're progressing. Slowly, difficult, all that stuff. But we're moving. And I'm learning more and more in my life what it means to walk the Jericho Road. But I'm not home yet. And neither are you. Jesus gave this to a man who thought he could, who needed to realize he couldn't, who needed to realize Jesus did, trust him, and so that he could begin to learn what it means to actually begin to live that out. And folks... That's the Christian story. And I don't know where you are on it. I know you're somewhere. You're either the guy thinking, I'll do it on my own. And I want you to know, you've got to accept the bad news. The bad news is you can't. You're a sinner. You're a rebel. It's a truth. But if you accept that, Christ can save you. And if he has, the one who perfectly has walked the Jericho Road through his spirit wants to help you to begin to grow in that walk. And he can do it through his spirit, but him alone. So, I don't know where you are, but I know the story more broadly touches all of us. Let's pray.